Hey y'all, welcome to the Appalachian Overlook, a metaphorical ride up these winding mountain roads where we'll explore topics and questions about what it means to live a good life in Appalachia. My name is Sarah Saavedra and I'll be your host in these conversations, airing here on 90.7 WEHC, the voice of Southwest Virginia, and also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode is a personal one. I'm very vocal about the impact sobriety has had on my wellness journey, and as a result, I get lots of questions about sobriety, about my journey, about what made me decide to, how I've done it. So I'd like to share my story openly and honestly here with you guys. Thank you. Thank you for holding the space for me as I share and for joining me on the journey. We're all connected even if it feels like we are alone. Well, here we are, folks, talking about sobriety. Uh, Sobriety for me has definitely been the key. It's the key that unlocked the door to everything good in my life. I don't mean to be dramatic, but looking back, I can see that I was treading water before I made the decision to stop drinking, right? Life is funny like that. You can see the past much clearer when you're looking back at it. I mean, there's a reason hindsight is 2020 is a cliche because often it holds true um, to more than one person's experience. So let's just hop right into this story. Uh, It may take two parts, so let's just go with it and see how far we get in this uh, episode. So I'm the oldest child of two alcoholics. My brother's a few years younger than me, and our childhood didn't seem all that dramatic, but it was. My parents fought a lot, and my mother spent most of her time just trying to keep herself together, honestly. To top it off, we were children of the 80s, so we spent a lot of our time unsupervised, and that made me a parent of sorts to myself and to my brother. I remember being 11 years old and making dinner for us and feeling triumphant because I snuck in broccoli to my brother's rice without him noticing. It's kind of parent stuff, right? My dad was a musician who had recording equipment at home. I would spend hours transcribing his lyrics for him. It was a fun project for me to do as a kid. And once in a while, I'd record joke songs for him to hear later. My joke song that stands out to me now was, I am the mother of everyone. We make jokes about it now because I'm always the, you know, quote unquote, mother of the group. But the truth is no child should bear the burden of parenting at such a young age. It made me who I am, strong, decisive, compassionate, and capable. I don't regret that, but it wasn't a healthy way to grow up. When I was 12, my dad was diagnosed with hepatitis and had to get sober as a result. You'd think that would have made things better at home, but honestly, it didn't. Not really. As an adult, I can now see that my mom just wasn't ready for a new dynamic, and she was resentful and angry, which is understandable, but... She held on to her resentment and anger and just couldn't let it go. My parents ended up getting a divorce a few years later, and my mom stayed out all night drinking while I was in high school. I spent a lot of time comforting my dad during this time in my life, acting a little bit like a therapist. Again, totally inappropriate role, right, for a 16-year-old, even if I did think I knew everything at that point in my life. I used to envy other teenagers who complained about strict curfews. At least their parents cared where they were, I thought to myself. 
Due to the chaos at home, I was looking for a set of rules for structure. It just something to make sense of all the decisions I was about to have to make for my life, right? Boyfriends, college, career, scholarships. I was on my own for all this stuff. Well, y'all know now where my love of lists comes from. They never let me down, and it was just something I had to do to make my life work for myself. Well, looking for the rules, this is where and when I found youth group. Church felt safe. It was a place where I was told over and over again that I had a father who loves me unconditionally and sacrificed for my well-being. Obviously, as a kid with two alcoholic parents who had been divorced, that was something I was really interested in hearing and something that made me feel good. Plus, I love rules. For any Myers-Briggs junkies out there, I'm an ESTJ. So that means I love tradition, I love structure, procedure, I love family and community. I really thought I could find that community in church, and for a while I did. Religion, rules, church. I was a young teenager desperate for structure, and I thought I had found it at a Southern Baptist youth group. I threw myself into it. At the age of 18, after just one year in college, I got married. My idea of a good life was the opposite of my parents, right? That's all I had to look at was just not them. That's all I I could think of. I sure thought I knew exactly how to achieve that. Become the perfect wife, raise a big family, and avoid alcohol slash vices, right? That was my list. Sounded pretty foolproof to me at the time. But one thing I've learned now, of course, is that you can't become not something, right? Like you can't. You can't just aim for not being bad. Um, You have to define your values and what means something to you. Well, at the time, like I said, that was just rules. I just was looking for a way to not repeat the mistakes of my parents. So when I was 20, you know, I was just married. And by the time I turned 20, I had had my first son. People remarked all the time how young I was, but I felt old honestly and so much more mature than everyone remember I'm the mother of everyone I was pregnant with my second child when I walked for my diploma at college he was born two days later after I received my diploma then two weeks after that my father who had been on a transplant list for a liver succumbed to sepsis I was the next of kin and tasked with making medical decisions as a 21-year-old with an 18-month-old and a two-week-old newborn at home. I numbed out, y'all. I ignored my grief and I buried myself in mothering. Grief is such a strange thing and no one, I, I mean really like maybe two people I've ever met, really knows how to talk about it. After the funeral, very few people want you to talk about it, right? It feels like there's an expiration date to how long you can seek comfort or talk out loud about your loved one that has died. Well, fast forward a few years and two more kids added to the pack and we made the big decision to move to Virginia. Four kids in tow, we traded big city life for small town life, searching for a solution to an unhappy marriage for sure. I didn't even know I was unhappy. My brain was 100% occupied by keeping my children alive and cared for. And on top of that, remember the religion part? 
My new set of rules included submitting to my husband, who quite frankly needed more mothering than my children at times. I was so lonely, you guys. I devoted myself to doing everything I could to make a better life for us. All the while, I can't remember a single time I thought about what I wanted or how I felt. Honestly, I I don't think that was just something I ever considered as important. This is typical for adult children of alcoholics. There's a whole list of characteristics and traits and recovery groups and even for um, those of us who identify as being codependent, although I feel like I can proudly say I'm in recovery from codependence. So those are topics we'll definitely dive into more on the podcast later, but just to let you know a little bit about who I am. But at this point in my story, I think we could all use a music break. Those who know me know that I am a super fan of Amethyst Kia's. She was the first artist I ever booked for an event back in my farmer's market manager days over 10 years ago. She lives in Johnson City and I've always been drawn to her songwriting and her voice. I'll never forget when I heard her perform this song we're about to play live. Her mother was also an alcoholic and struggled with her own demons like my mom did. This song is Amethyst's story about how her mother's suicide affected her when she was a teenager and how she felt. I feel it deeply and I hope it touches some of you as well. Take a listen to Amethyst Kia. This is Wild Turkey. to the unknown cause she's never coming back no she's never coming back body and water for days and days hopes for a safe return my hopes in vain cause she's never coming back no she's never coming Pretended not to care Stayed numb for years To escape despair When your soul dies You just can't hide it Everyone can tell Oh Lord circuits for my backbone cause she's never coming back no she's never coming back 
Thank you for listening to the Appalachian Overlook here on 90.7 WEHC, the voice of Southwest Virginia. I'm sharing my personal story of sobriety today. We just heard Wild Turkey by Amethyst Kia. So if you're just joining us, uh, you can catch the full episode from the beginning by searching the Appalachian Overlook wherever you listen to podcasts. So let's pick this story back up. So I've brought you guys through a real quick journey through my life. Now I'm in Virginia. So not long after we moved, my mother had her own crisis and she moved nearby. She had just lost her mother and was trying to uh, take care of her father, but that didn't really work out for her. And so she moved nearby just down the road. It was a really strange time for me. I had hoped she would quote unquote get better, right? Learn to love my kids, be a grandmother when she got here. But by that time, I hadn't really spent much time with her for a couple of years since we had moved. Um, But by that time, she was so deep in the throes of her addiction that she just couldn't see the joy in anything. Not in my kids' faces, not in spending time with us. She just never could find her way out of that pain and that misery Uh, That resentment that I mentioned that she just was holding on to. Just six weeks before my fifth child was born, I found my mother dead, alone in her apartment. Essentially, she drank herself to death. 
until she couldn't anymore. Before I was 30, I was an orphan, and my ideal life and family was crumbling. At this point, I had never even really had a drink, right? Remember my rules? No drinking, no vices. I had had a glass of wine a few times a year, maybe, but I was also pregnant and nursing for like 10 years. So when my mother died, my whole world turned upside down. I had a real major crisis of faith. And not just because my mother had died, but also because my, you know, idea of the community that I was supposed to have really failed to serve me in all the ways I had expected. I took on the submissive wife role, right, expecting that, uh, you know, if I followed the rules and those rules said if my husband failed to honor his vows, that the church would intervene and help, right, with some counseling or some accountability or something, This not only did not happen, but I instead was blamed for his poor behavior. Honestly, y'all, I am still untangling with all those patriarchal, misogynistic rules that I had self-imposed on my life, but how they've affected me to this day. How, you know, how I need to talk to myself with kindness because I, I didn't know any better, right? You know better, you do better, but at the time I was just so stuck. Around the same time, I had just started working outside the house for the first time since I had lots of little babies. Um, If you're counting, we're up to five at this point. That's it. We stopped there. Um, But I was working outside of the house, and it felt good. It felt good to be good at something. I started to really uh, get a different perspective on what it meant to be myself um, and and I had just a real crisis of, of faith and personality. Like, who am I? What do I need? I mean, this was really the first time I started asking myself questions like this. But I was ignoring my grief again. I ignored my grief and threw myself into work, right? It felt good to be good at something. And so that was where my comfort came from in this time of grief, you know, and I started combining that with, you know, after work drinks with friends. That seemed perfectly suitable and I was having fun and enjoying meeting new people, uh, making a new community, but I avoided being alone or at home if I could because I needed a distraction. When the pieces of my marriage could no longer be salvaged, I filed for divorce and became a single mom of five kids, 13 to three years old. Trying to hide from yourself takes a lot of work. (laughs) On the outside, I was a strong, independent woman, right, who had overcome the worst odds. People would tell me all the time how, you know, they thought everything I had done and overcome was just amazing, and I was taking care of these five kids, and, you know, but on the inside, I have to tell you guys, I was keeping it together on the outside, but on the inside, I needed to drink myself to get to sleep when the kids weren't at home. I hated it when they weren't at home with me. And I could never seem to develop new habits that I so desperately wanted. Every year, I'd write out that resolution list, y'all. And it would be to, you know, drink less or journal more or drink more water or eat better. You know, the list goes on and on. We all have the things we resolve to do, right? Um, But, you know, they were things that I was excited about. They were things, new things I wanted to do and to try. And 
I had this whole idea of, um, you know, a new life that I was going to create and how, how great it was going to be, but I could never quite get the things checked off that list, right? If we're talking about a list of resolutions, I would look back every year and be like, well, dang, like I totally lost focus and I just was not achieving personal goals. You know, work was fine. The kids were great, but I was a mess. Chaos followed me, even though I thought I was starting over. But the danger for me was instead of examining why I couldn't seem to take care of myself when I was taking care of everyone else just fine, I escaped those thoughts with alcohol, right? So let me say that again. Instead of examining why I couldn't seem to take care of myself and all the ways I knew I should be when I was taking care of everyone else just fine, I escaped thinking about why with alcohol. Yes, me, the orphan who lost both of her parents because of alcohol. I honestly didn't see the issue with drinking to escape pain. I had a job I loved. I paid the bills. I took care of my kids. I made sure they had good grades, fun activities. I wasn't like my parents at all right? So drinking was no big deal. It was like a total blinder. I had like this cognitive dissonance, like maybe drinking is a problem for me. Like it just didn't occur to me at all. I'm sure it did. I'm sure we all have those times or, you know, in the back of our head, we, we know we want to drink less or we know we're drinking for the wrong reasons, right? Whatever those reasons might be, whether it's to escape or to, um, you know, feel better because of grief or trauma. I mean, there are 7 million reasons why people drink, but that was my reason. And obviously it was holding me back. That went on for a couple of years, right? So, you know, I was a single mom. I was doing really well at my new job. I really liked it. And when my kids weren't with me every other week, I was drinking pretty heavily. You know, one glass of wine was never enough. It needed to be three and it was almost every night and then it was every night. And that's just kind of how it goes with alcohol. Now I know better. I know it's not just um, a benign substance that um, you can drink without uh, caution with. It is an addictive substance and I was headed that way. Now I was never, never hit rock bottom, right? Like everybody in AA circles or some recovery circles will talk about that rock bottom, right? You're in jail, you've gotten your fifth DUI, you've lost your kids, you you know, all of that kind of stuff, lost your job. None of that ever happened to me. None of it came close to happening to me. Um, but I was very unhappy and I had this level of chaos in my life and things that be, just became unmanageable. I mentioned earlier, um, the characteristics and traits of alcoholic uh, or adult children of alcoholics and codependents. And that's when I really started to dig into, you know, what was it about my self-sabotage that I could change and how could I change it? And my partner at the time, um, who identifies as an alcoholic, actually went to treatment. And while he was in treatment, I just did what I do. I made lists and I researched and I dug into 
alcoholism and what causes it and how I could be the best, you know, partner for my partner, you know, who was going to be in recovery. And I remember thinking like, does this mean I'm never going to drink again? Like, okay, maybe I won't drink around him, but like, what does that mean for me? And the more I read and the more I explored my own codependence and emotional issues surrounding my childhood and growing up as a child of alcoholics, I realized that I was facing a real integrity issue, right? Like, am I who I say I am if I keep drinking like this? Am I who I say I am if I can't um, make the important things in my life happen because I'd rather have a drink, right? Because alcohol was causing me to not have good sleep patterns. It was causing me to, you know, not have money for crying out loud. That's a, it's a lot of money to sustain, you know, three glasses of wine a night, not to mention if you go out um, to a restaurant and drink there. So it was just so many things about drinking. I realized at that moment were what were keeping me from really living and like, and being the person I thought I was and and that I said I was 100% of the time. And so I made the decision when my partner came back from treatment that I was also going to quit drinking. I thought it might be for 30 days, 60 days, I might 90 days, you know, that it would be something that I would um, try out and maybe I'd start just only drinking socially every once in a while. But I quickly realized that alcohol was just masking my problems. Alcohol was um, drowning out the feelings and the grief that I had buried for so long. And honestly, after a little bit of time without alcohol, I realized that I was never going to get emotional sobriety. I like to call it emotional sobriety. I was never going to get to a place where I could regulate my emotions, where I could really be in touch with myself and become a wholehearted, integrated person unless I cut alcohol out. It just wasn't an option for me. And at the end of the day, you know, a couple times where I might have tried um, a, a drink again, see how it was, maybe it's not so bad, you know, six months, a year later after I decided to get sober. And I felt awful. It was just a reminder to me that alcohol never made me feel good, right? We all know that if you, you know, drink to drunkenness, you don't feel great during, you don't feel great after. It's really the anticipation of letting loose and having less anxiety that is the the thing that really draws us in. But for me, I realized that I I was upset, trauma, grief, all of those things were just following me along and I could I was <laughs> I could really turn into my mom if I kept it up. I could really just go down that road and never come back. And so for me, it just wasn't worth it. And I started to see so many benefits. I started to achieve goals that I set for myself, like, because now I had the time, the energy, the money, uh, the stamina to make those happen. I started to really be able to integrate what I thought, what I felt, and how I behaved I couldn't have done any of it unless I had gotten sober. So those are my reasons for sobriety. 
Don't hear me saying that it's easy. It certainly was not easy. The first uh, few years that I was sober was a lot. It was all of a sudden, all of these emotions, all of this trauma, all of this grief that was unresolved. I had to work my way through it. I'll never stop working my way through it. But it gave me the chance, gave me the opportunity, it gave me the space, it gave me the clarity of mind to actually start working through those things instead of carrying them around and becoming miserable, honestly. And so that's why I'm sober. That's why I will stay sober. And honestly, I can't see a reason why any of us shouldn't give it a try if especially if we find that our life is a bit unmanageable we find that we can't uh, meet goals and expectations that we set for ourselves if we just you know feel like nothing is going right in our lives then maybe take a look at alcohol it's the first thing to start with and honestly it was it would have been impossible for me to dig down to the root of any of my issues if i had not quit drinking So that's the story in a nutshell. I hope you guys, um, you know, got something from that conversation that something in my story resonates with you. I would love to hear about it if you want to send me a message on Facebook through the Appalachian Overlook. Happy to share resources. I will put some in the podcast notes here for books that I read and forums that I read um, as I was heading on this journey. And honestly, I think it would be great for every one of us to take a look. So thanks for joining me. Thanks for holding space and listening to my story. You've been listening to the Appalachian Overlook here on 90.7 WEHC, the voice of Southwest Virginia. Join me on my next episode as we talk about the how of sobriety, what worked for me, some tools that I think might help If you're interested in pursuing sobriety, as we like to say, sober curious. So I look forward to joining you next time on the Appalachian Overlook.